Well, hello once again, everybody. So glad you're with us here at Chase Oaks. And also for this series we're in called Songs of Summer, which is on this book of Psalms or songs in the Old Testament named Psalms. It's the right in the middle of the Bible. It's the biggest book of the Bible. It's a really cool book because these these psalms are worship songs. They're prayers put to music that came that come right out of people's lives as they're going through all kinds of things. And because of that, they're really helpful guides for whatever we're going through in life to help us get through what we're going through. You can always find a psalm or two that can be helpful. And today we're going to be in Psalm 73, where the writer of the psalm, a guy named Asaph, is in a place where he's just disillusioned and upset because life feels so unfair that the way things were supposed to be turning out are not turning out that way. And he comes to God and says, I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. I, and therefore, it's really, really helpful whenever we feel that way, because we're going to feel that way. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do and get into the psalm, I do have some good news to share. And hey, these days, any kind of good news is a good thing, right? So let me share some good news. And for our family, this like it's up there with you know, vying for best news ever. And that is that Christy and I are going to be grandparents. Uh, Colin, our oldest son and his wife, Kinsey, are pregnant. Well, Kinsey's pregnant and she is due in October. And we're so excited. We're just pumped. I can't wait to meet. Uh, I can't wait to meet this little guy or little girl, um, little Jeffrey or Jefferina. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to name the baby after me. I'm just assuming they are because it's logical. But, I, you know, we'll see what happens. But whatever his or her name is, I can't wait. And speaking of names, one of the things we got to figure out is what is the what's our grandkid going to call us? Like what what were they going to call Christy? What's he or she going to call me? And uh, and I'd love your input. So share ideas of, you know, and people have already been doing that. I've I've had people suggest to me other than just like granddad uh, gramps, which that's not going to happen. Pops, pop, pop, papa. I don't think that's one either. Um, Hefe, JJ. Jeffro, uh, grand dude. That's actually my favorite grand dude. I don't know if I can pull it off, but it's kind of kind of nice. But hey, send it in. I'd love to know what your thoughts are and whatever the child calls me. I'm just looking forward to hanging with him or her. And I'm already thinking about, man, what are we going to do together? And where are we going to take them? And Christy's way thinking about that. And I've already committed to to buy their first skis and ski boots to, you know, do that together. But one of the things I'm sure we'll do together is watch Disney movies, and that'll be cool. But I'm really out of date on my Disney movies because it's been so long since I've had little kids. So all the new ones I really haven't seen. And so kids out there, if you're watching, uh, let me know which ones do I need to see. Like this one, I, I know kids talk about a lot. And uh, Frozen, like I guess there's Frozen 1 and 2, and I don't know if there's a 3 or whatever. Um, it's something about this girl named Ilsa that is frozen, I guess, uh, somehow she, I mean, obviously she forgot a coat, so maybe that's the deal. And, um, I, I don't think that's the thing, but I haven't seen it. So that's one I'll have to see. We did, Christy and I see this movie the other night, Beauty and the Beast. Um, I think that we had seen that forever ago and, but we got to see it again and, and that was so fun. It was great. Um, but it was a little scary in the middle because 
it looked like the bad guy, a guy named Gaston, was going to you know, get rid of the beast and he's going to win. And, and the beast wasn't able to convert back to, you know, the, the guy who could be with the girl. And, and it would have been terrible. And, and just in the nick of time, however, it all turned around and the beast won. And it ended up being a really happy movie. And because, you know, that's, that's what happens, right? You, you know, what, what should have happened happened. The bad guy lost and the good guy won and he got the girl. And you know why all that happened? Because it's a Disney movie. And that's what always happens in Disney movies, right? At least the ones aimed at kids. It's what's supposed to happen, happens. It always ends happy. The good guy always wins. The bad guy always loses. I mean, can you imagine uh, them coming out with an animated Disney movie aimed at kids that was not like that at all, where the bad guy wins and the good guy loses and it's this terrible ending and it's so sad. And, and I mean, there'd be like a revolt in the theater of little kids. I mean, you just can't. You can't do that. There's like this implicit contract that we have with Disney movies that it's always got to turn out the way it's supposed to. And that's true with Disney movies. But, you know, for those of us who've lived life long enough, we know that life is not a Disney movie. And that often uh, life just doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to. The good guy doesn't always win. Sometimes the bad guy wins. We all have a script in our head of the way life should go. And we have expectations around that. And, and for those of us who know Jesus, how he's going to guide our lives and what he's going to do. And, and when life breaks that script, it can really, you know, it can really throw us for a loop. I mean, like, let's say you get married and you have kind of a script in your head of the way that marriage is going to go. And then something happens and it falls apart or worse. And it just like, God, why? Or you have a script in your head for your career. You have a script in your head of how your life will go, your health will go, your your business will go, whatever it is, right? Or we just encounter problems and difficulties and injustices, as we've talked about uh, in this season in life. And you're like, God, where are you in all this? How can you allow this to happen? What do you do when life seems unfair, when life breaks the script? Because it will. And that's what Psalm 73 is about. And it is so helpful. And so we're going to we're going to look at it. It's written by this guy named Asaph. Uh, Asaph was a a very prominent worship leader in his time uh, under the time of King David in the Old Testament. He was in charge of all the vocalists, all the singers. And and so he would have been a very popular worship leader and that kind of thing. And he writes this song. And we don't know exactly what was happening, but we know that he was encountering a time in his life where he's fighting disillusionment with the unfairness of life. And here's how he starts out the song. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, that's the Disney premise, really, right? That's He's saying, surely life works this way, or surely God works this way. Uh, Israel, his people in the Old Testament that he was committed to, through him the Savior of the world would come, Jesus, which happened. So he's like, surely God is going to take care of his people. And, and surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. That if you do the right thing, if you're a good person, as best you can be, then life is going to turn out well and God's going to make sure. Surely that's the way it works. But it's not the way it was working. And because of that, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now he's talking about his faith. I mean, this was a worship leader. He was a a strong guy in his faith. He was a solid person. He was rooted, but he was slipping. He was about to lose it because what should be happening wasn't happening. And what 
should not be happening was happening. And it didn't look like God was doing anything about it. And he's he's struggling and he explains it. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free of burdens common to man. Meaning they're wealthy and they're powerful and all the things the rest of us have to worry about. They're so wealthy and so powerful. They've got people to worry for them. Their life is good. They're not plagued by human ills like the rest of us. Therefore, pride is their necklace, meaning they wear it. They're, They're not embarrassed about it. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. He's saying these people are vile people and violent people and unjust people. They're getting ahead at the expense of other people. And they don't mind at all. And not only that, even though that's how they're getting wealthy and getting powerful and they're the oppressor. People still love them like they're popular. People drink up everything they're saying. It's like they've, they've got like 10 million Instagram followers and, and everybody's like, wow, they're so amazing. And, and he's saying, no, they're not amazing. These are terrible people. And they also scoff at God. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? Meaning, you know, how they're maintaining their power and how they're doing everything. It's like how God's way up there in heaven. He doesn't see all this stuff. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in their wealth. So the wicked, those who are getting ahead by oppression and and injustice, they're getting ahead. They're getting wealthier and wealthier. But then he talks about himself. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. In vain, I've washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus. I would have betrayed your children. Meaning, God, if I just poured it out like that and let everybody know, that'd be a betrayal. People would turn on you. But when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. When he saw the injustices in this world, he looks at it. He's like, how could God be up there in heaven and allow all this stuff that happens to happen? And and how can he let that? It was oppressive to him. And, And why is the stuff that's happening to him? All the bad stuff. We don't know what it was. We know it was really bad, though. Like, God, why would you allow this to me when I've been like, I'm your guy. You know, I'm I'm worshiping you. And like, how could this happen? His expectations were shattered and he's disillusioned because when we have expectations that life should go a certain way, we get disillusioned. And and this is not what he expected. I remember a long time ago now, uh, years ago, um, saw that kind of thing happen. And, and we we were on a vacation. Uh, my wife and I, Christy, met my mom and my dad um, down in Cozumel. Now, this was like, I don't know, a long time ago, 25 years ago for a scuba diving trip. So we go down there and on the way back, we're flying from Cancun to Dallas and something happened on the f- messing up our tickets. So we couldn't sit together, Christy and me. So I was by myself. She was by herself. And so I sit down and there's this lady sitting next to me and she, you could tell she was having a rough time. Um, you, you can also tell that she was a very attractive person, but she just wasn't catching her on her best day. She, 
Actually, what she looked like, she had long hair. She looked like, and no joke, like this is really what she looked like, that she had uh, rented a convertible or something and uh, kept the top down and driven through a car wash and then drove for like two hours. It's what she looked. And then and looked like she hadn't slept for like a month. She was she was just having a tough time. So I just just to make conversation when I sat down, I said, oh, so how are you doing? And she said, look at me. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> I couldn't say anything, but I guess kind of rough. And she said, yeah, it, it's really rough. And then she told me her story, how her husband, she, she had been on this Cancun vacation with her husband, her son, and her husband had found this brochure of this hotel in Cancun. And it was so cheap, but it looked awesome. And the pictures looked awesome. And this was in the, like, it was brand new and the whole internet thing, you know, so all the reviews, there was none of that kind of stuff. So man, the brochure looked great. looked awesome. And so they sign up and they go down there. And when they get in the room, it is not like the brochure. It is disgusting and it's dirty and it's cockroaches everywhere, roach infested, rat infested. And um, and they're like, well, you know, and she's upset and they're all upset. But like, hey, let's just we're, we're not going to spend much time in the room. It's not that far from the beach. We're just going to it's OK. We'll do make the best of it. So they go out to eat. And that first night they go out to eat and the husband and son were fine. But she ate something that didn't work out so well. She got incredible. Montezuma's revenge. She got horribly sick, which meant for the whole week she had to stay in that horrible room while her family went out and did a bunch of fun stuff and came back and told her about it. And she had to go from her dirty bed across the dirty floor to the disgusting bathroom. And that's all she did. And I don't know where her husband was or her son was. They weren't with her on the flight. I don't I didn't ask. But she you know, and so I I, I was just trying to make light of it. So I said, oh, yeah, I guess I guess that wasn't in the brochure. And she didn't think that was funny and or cute or whatever. And but it was definitely one of those not in the brochure moments. And all of us in life at times will go through things that are like one of those not in the brochure moments. Like, God, I don't think this is what I signed up for when I signed up to to follow you, to follow Jesus, to, you know, I, I this is not working out the way it's supposed to. And that, that there's a lot of times in life where it just will not make sense. And uh, it, it's just kind of one of those not in the brochure moments. But here's the thing is that God is really honest in his marketing and really honest in his advertising. In fact, when Jesus came here, um, he let us know what would happen. And it wasn't that, hey, if you follow me, life's going to be awesome and it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the guarantee. It's right on the brochure. In fact, he even said, as Jesus people, you're going to have more trouble than most people because you're Jesus people and everybody likes Jesus people and it's going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. That, that you and I are not exempted just because we know Jesus from the difficulties of a broken, fallen, messed up world. You see, that's what we live in. Uh, you and I, human beings, messed up the world when we chose sin. And along with sin came death and disease and oppression and injustices and racism and all the things that we face and are dealing with. All that happened. And it's not like we're exempt from it. He told us, you're, you're not. We're going to, like in, in the Old Testament, it says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. We don't get special stuff or exempted from bad stuff. It, we live in a fallen world. And what that means is that there are times things happen and we want to know, God, this breaks the script. So why are you allowing this to happen? What did I do? Because I must have done something wrong or somebody did. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't let this happen because this isn't fair. I mean, one time Jesus and his disciples, there was this guy who was uh, that Jesus ends up healing, but he was born blind. And and that was confusing to the disciples because they're like, well, there's got to be a reason he's blind, but he was born blind. So he said, well, who sinned then? Did he sin? And this is like retroactive. He got dinged or did his parents sin? And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? It has nothing to do with that. Because there's not always this like direct correlation. We always want to find the exact, you know, answer in God. Why would you allow this? This is unfair. What did I do? Or what did somebody do? Hey, we live in a fallen, broken world. And often it just, we live in a fallen, broken world and stuff happens. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back first. Uh, We're all, you know, there's disease. There's all, I mean, we're all going to suffer. And God was really, really clear about that. But if our expectations are off, then we'll be thrown for a loop. Meaning if our expectations are off base, then when stuff does happen, we'll get mad at God. We'll uh, maybe even sometimes people run away from God. They run away from church. They run away from healthy choices. They they feel justified going deep into sin or doing, you know, just escaping with substances or whatever. And which doesn't make things better. And evidently, that's what this guy does, Asaph, because later he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you, like that beauty and the beast guy. He's like, I don't know what he did. But when he was embittered against God and God had crushed his expectations, he was senseless, ignorant and a brute beast. It wasn't pretty. I'm sure it didn't make his life better. But that's what happens when our expectations are shattered. But he makes a decision. And with his disillusionment, with his loss of perspective, he makes a decision that's going to save the day. He makes a decision that's going to restore perspective, because when you and I go through times in life and you may be in one right now where something's happening and you don't understand it and it's easy to lose perspective, it's easy to start making mistakes. What do you do? Well, here's what he does. And it's and this is so cool because it's something that you and I can do. It's something you and I are called to do. It's actually a discipline, a a habit, a pattern that God says this needs to be in our life if we're going to stay on track, if we're going to maintain perspective. And here's what he does. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. You know what he does? He goes to church. He goes to the temple. And that changed everything for him. It didn't change his circumstances, but it changed his perspective. He goes to the sanctuary of God and then things begin to make sense to him again. He, he, he's, he's, we're going to see some of the truths that he clings on to, but it was the discipline of, of the assembly, the discipline of coming together. And what would he do at the temple? Well, he would have heard teaching from the Bible, from God's perspective. He would have heard wisdom from God. He would have prayed there. He would have drawn near to God. And, and when we come in corporate worship, God draws near to us in a unique way. It's one of the reasons that making a pattern, making a habit of of going to church and and the corporate worship thing is so important because we can hear from God, we connect to God, we worship, we hear other people worship, we fellowship. And right now we're doing that online. And hey, that works too. Uh, Soon or at some point we'll be able to, uh, it's coming. You can look on the website to get the details as as we begin to physically regather again. That's an important discipline because without it, it's really hard to maintain perspective, which is why God says, Don't skip it. Like, make this a discipline in your life. I was feeling that last month uh, when the volcanoes, kind of the way I I see of it, kind of 
spewed over. I mean, all the stuff was there when it comes to racism and injustice and uh, everything that comes with that. And, and you know, it, it erupted in a way that, that we all got to see the ugliness of it. And then you think, man, we got to deal with this. And, what are we gonna do? and so it, in, the, in, in the heat of all that happening that week, it was just such a dark week for me. And I didn't realize how dark my, my own soul was. And um, until we went to, we, you know, we did the prayer gathering together. Many of you went um, and, it, and that was so cool. I mean, it started with a quick phone call to Conway Edwards at a partner church, one community church and said, man, we got to do something. He's like, yeah, I know we got to do something. And, and on Monday, that was the conversation. And Thursday night, uh, I think seven or eight thousand people showed up to um, to to pray together against racism for justice, for church unity. It was a it was a really cool event, and but I didn't realize how much I needed it. I didn't realize how much I needed that gathering to get to just help me get perspective again. As we were able to pray together, as I heard, as I saw thousands of people saying, "God, we we need your healing in our lives. God, we need your perspective. God, we repent of our silence, or we repent of our." of what's in our heart. God, we want you to, it, it, because we, it, it just helped me see the way forward. Like it's Jesus. That's the solution, right? It, it's the, it's the power of the gospel. That's the solution ultimately. And, and it's so life giving to me, but I, I just needed that. And that's what he's going, that's what happened to him. And he goes to the temple and he go, and it's just like life giving him. And there's two truths, two realities that help him get in perspective. The first one is God's work in the future. He begins to think about. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. These bad people, these unjust people. And we're talking about racism and injustice. Well, these people are the worst of all that. And he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream and one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. What he's thinking about is, hey, in the present, looks like they're getting ahead. It looks like everything's good for them. But there's a day that's coming in the future where God will bring judgment, where God will bring justice. It's one of the reasons people have a problem with God in a world like this where so much happens and bad stuff happens. And you're like, how can God just sit up there in heaven and let genocide happen? Let child abuse happen? Let I mean, you just name it, right? And how could he do that? Why doesn't he do something? And what the Bible says is he's not ignoring that. Of course, at times he does intervene, but even when he doesn't, he's not ignoring it. The Bible says that he is storing up his wrath. He's storing it up. And when Jesus returns, he's not coming for a party. That'll happen after the judgment. He's coming for judgment. And God's wrath will be poured out on this on this planet. And it won't be pretty. And you think, well, why doesn't God just do that? And the Bible lets us know he doesn't do that because God is patient and he's gracious and he's made a way out to escape his judgment, to escape his justice for what we do. That's why Jesus died on the cross for that to happen. And he wants more people to know. He wants more people to say yes to Jesus. He wants more people to escape it. But he's not going to wait forever and he will come. And the Asaph thinks about that and realizes, oh, wow, here I am envying these people because they've got, you know, multiple houses and they take their jets and everybody thinks they're great. And, 
And yeah, it may be great right now, but why am I envying them? Because it is not going to turn out well for them. He thinks about coming judgment, God's work in the future. But he also is connected to God's work in the present or God's presence in the present in a really unique way. Um, that's their prayer event, by the way. He says this, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. What he's saying is I'm envying what all these other people have. But when I come into the temple and because this is what happens when we come into God's presence, we connect to God. We sense God's presence. He's realizing what he has. He has God in his life. And he says, I'm envying their stuff. But who cares about all? I don't want any of that compared to what I do have, which is a connection with the living God, a connection with my creator. That's what I have. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. He realizes what he has and what he has is God. Because, yes, you and I live in a broken world and one day Jesus will come back and he'll fix it. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, he's not absent from this world. He's present and he wants to be present with us in in a real way, in a strengthening way with whatever we're going through. And and whatever you're going through right now that seems so hard and so unfair or so unjust and so not the way it was supposed to be, God understands it and he is weeping with you. And he wants to walk with it through you. In fact, it's those times where we draw near to God and he draws near to us that we grow the most. that That God uses that to become the kind of people we want to be. And I think it's really helpful, too, to think back through the psalm of what he just said to think, well, what does God's presence really mean? Like, what does he want to bring us? Not just to be hang out with us, but what is he there to do? And let's think back through the verse. He talks about God's comfort. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. He realizes that when we're grieving, when we're feeling loss and that God isn't just there, he's there to hold us. He's there to strengthen us. He's there to comfort us. God's guidance, you guide me with your counsel, he says, when we don't know what to do, when we're confused. Strength, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And when when we're going through the difficulties and the craziness and the injustices and the messed upness of this life, it's just tiring and, and we need strength. And he wants to be that strength for us. Refuge. As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. A refuge is a safe place when the world is unsafe. And what God is saying is, I'm your safe place. Run right into my arms. That that God is, is with us and for us. God does not hate you. He loves you. What God has for you is grace. What he has for you is mercy. You run into his arms. He's got open arms and he's going to envelop you. He wants to be your refuge when times are tough. Now, I want us to think back through this because we're going to go to God in prayer and just say, God, we want to draw near to you. And in that process, we, we ask you to draw near to us. He will. 
when we do that, because he promises that. That if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And, and I want you to think about what you need from God right now, because if your life is not working out like a Disney movie or you don't know or it's not feeling that great right now and it's throwing you for a loop, I get it. God gets it. Life wasn't supposed to be that way. It's a broken world. And sometimes all the stuff that shouldn't happen happens. And what do you do? Well, he'll make that right one day. But in the meantime, he's with us. And he can help us through it. And so maybe for you right now, you need God's comfort as we go to God in prayer, meaning you're feeling loss. You're grieving. You're scared. And you need God's comfort. And if you come to him and ask for it, he'll give it. Maybe for you, it's guidance right now. You just don't know what to do. You're in a state that it's there's no good decision. Um, There's. There's no easy decision. You don't know how to unravel or re-ravel what's unraveled. You just don't know what to do. You don't know how to move forward. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know what to, and you need guidance. And God is there to provide wisdom, provide guidance. In fact, he promises us in the book of James, if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it every time. Maybe for you, it's strength that you need right now. You're just weary. You're exhausted. But as I've been talking with friends who are people of color, just asking, just saying, hey, what is your story of being a person of color in this culture, in this country? And and the the biggest, most prominent word I've heard is exhausted. Uh, a few weeks ago, Ryan, I did an interview with him and and that was the word he used. Uh, Ryan Lake, our teaching pastor, he said, man, just People are just exhausted who are people of color in our culture because what, what, what we saw erupt was just one more thing. As bad as that was, that was just one more thing. And everybody, they have hundreds of stories of how racism has impacted their life in subtle ways and in not so subtle ways and sometimes very overt ways. And it doesn't matter whether they're little or big or what, just after a while, you're just exhausted. Or maybe it's not about that. Just in life, you've been going through stuff over and over and over again and it's not letting up. Whether it's a, a marriage problem or a relationship problem or a kid problem or a career problem or a, just a, a health problem or a mental health problem or you've lost somebody or what, and you're just so exhausted and you need God's strength. Or maybe you need to know God as refuge. That, that you need a safe place. Because in a broken, fallen world, there's not many safe places. But what you'll find with God is acceptance as you are. I mean, he'll love you and, and begin to change you and all that, but he just loves you. And he invites you to run right into his arms. And you just say, God, I just need a safe place right now. I just need to know you as my refuge. There's not a better refuge than the God of the universe. And he invites you. So with whatever you're going through right now, God knows, he sees, he cares. And let's go into his presence in prayer. Prayer is just talking with God in our own words. And I want you to, again, just right now in your own heart, just say, God, maybe, maybe this is what you need to say. God, I need your comfort right now. Or maybe for you, you need to ask God for guidance or maybe strength or refuge, maybe all of it. Just right now in your heart, just say, just tell God what you need. And then I'm going to pray on behalf of all of us. Father, Lord, you know that life is hard here. When we chose sin, we messed it up. 
And I thank you that you did not leave us on your own. I thank you one day you'll fix it. But in the meantime, God, thank you that you want to draw near to us in our pain and our confusion and our weariness. And then when life doesn't make sense, when life seems unfair, God, just help us maintain perspective. And God, right now, I do pray that you'll give us what we need. Some people right now that are listening need your comfort. Some need your guidance, your wisdom. Some need your strength just to make it another day. Some need to know you as refuge. They need to run into your arms and begin a relationship with you or restore their relationship with you. And I pray that you would draw them to yourself to do that. And I thank you that every time we draw near to you, you draw near to us. That every time we seek, we find. We thank you that you're that loving of a creator, that loving of a father, that loving of a God. In Jesus' name. Amen.